So uh, this morning's scripture is John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Cindy. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at uh, Current. Uh, hey, can we praise God for being able to partner with our first global <laughs> partnership? And what a fun family to be able to do that. Can we also thank Cindy? She's been doing a lot of behind the scenes, like heavy lifting. Um, I know she's up on stage time to doing announcements, but she's behind the scenes killing it, guys. And this relationship with this uh, ministry uh, serving the uh, refugees over there in, in Greece is just, it's really exciting to get to be a part of that. So be praying about that. Uh, we'll, we'll try to follow up as more information comes in. Let me go ahead and pray for them and their ministry, and then as we open the word. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for so many things that we just take for granted. I mean, when we think about uh, so many folks in, in, in the world today, um, including the Syrian refugee crisis and all that that's, uh, how that's impacted the world, impacted so many lives, so many families, so many individuals. Uh, thank you for families like Michales and his, and his wife and, and kids who are willing to be there and serve, to be your hands and your feet. Would you bless them? Father, thank you for the honor and privilege you've given us to just in some small way come alongside them and, and be a part of things that you're doing through them. Lord, would you bless their ministry? Would you, would you multiply it? Would they, would, would they continue to see many lives changed for the sake of, of, of Jesus? And would uh, many tangible needs be met in that community? Bless them. Encourage them. Would you, would you let your gospel pour through that relationship? And then, Father, as we, as we study your word today, would you give me your spirit? As I, as I uh, teach these things, may it be of you, and whatever might not be of you, would you help me not to say those things? And, and then would you give us each of, your, each of us your spirit as we, as we engage with your word, as we um, uh, think about it and, and uh, let it work in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, good morning. So today we're continuing our series, Thriving in Relationship. And I've been hearing that it's been striking a chord with folks at Current, um, that it's been helpful, that it's been challenging. Um, you know, it's not my goal to be challenging for challenging's sake, uh, but I have to admit, and I don't, I don't mean this in a patronizing way, uh, it makes me proud to hear that it's, it's, it's been challenging, because an underlying premise of this series, Thriving in Relationship, is relationships can be hard. Relationships can be messy, and so if you're one of those folks, and I'll put myself right in there in, into the mix where you're saying, boy, this, this is challenging, uh, I find that really encouraging because that's the whole goal here. Um, as we work our way, as we think about relationships, you know, we're not going to get everything right. We're going to mess up probably more times than we wish. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. Oftentimes, it would be easier just to say, you know what, forget it, but let's do the work. Let's really lean in and, and value and, and work on the relationships is, is what we're really going for in this series, thriving in relationship, looking at some of the timeless practical wisdom the Bible has for either strengthening relationships that are healthy or bringing healing into relationships that maybe aren't so healthy. Um, and today we come to the relationship topic of serving, serving one another in relationship. Now, the text that was read, this story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples is just utterly mind-boggling to me. I mean, it is just, I've read this story over the years, and digging into it this week, oh my goodness, it is just so mind-boggling. But first, here's the scene. Jesus starts this whole thing. Well, the, the, the gospel writer, John, the guy who wrote this little biography of Jesus, John, uh, lets us know in verse 1 that Jesus knew, it says here, that the hour had come. Now, anytime the Bible talks about, especially uh, surrounding the life of Jesus, that it talks about the hour has come, it's always talking about the cross. Jesus came for the hour. He came for the cross. And for much of Jesus' life, much of his ministry, he's always pointing ahead. That the hour is coming, he would say to his disciples, to his students. The hour is coming. Well, now the hour has come. And actually, this night, you'd be betrayed. This night, you'd be arrested. And in just a short time, he'd be nailed to the cross. The hour has come. Chapter 13 of John is shifting into these last special moments that Jesus has with these students of his. So he's sharing a meal with them. He's sharing his heart with them. But before he does any of that, he serves them by washing their feet. And it is utterly mind-boggling that he would do this. For starters, because it was absolutely unprecedented for anyone of Jesus' position to do this for people like his students. I mean, let's be real. This is first century Palestine. Okay? They're walking around on nasty streets with near barefoot, like not the Jordans, not the big baller shoes. Uh, you know, like they're just, it, you know, it's funny. I was reviewing my notes today. I had a little bit in my, in my notes to talk about how nasty feet can be today. I used to be a lifeguard. I'm not going to go into all of that. Uh, feet can be nasty, okay? Um, and if they can be nasty today, you have to think they were just, there's no comparison. Back then, they would have been nasty. And, and, and for them to eat this meal... It's, it's not as if they would have been pulling up to like a dining table. You know, you kind of sit up with a dining chair and then like the feet and all that's interesting about the smell of what they've had. It's like kind of under there. They would have been coming up and reclining at what, have, what would have been uh, basically like a, a large coffee table in our standards. Okay, that's how they ate. They kind of like recline. You've seen the pictures. You've seen the paintings. Uh, they recline feet outwards. And because we know from details from, from this account and the other accounts uh, they, that they were borrowing this room. Uh, there was no servant there to wash their feet, which would have been their, uh, the custom of that culture. 
So as, as uh, uh, a number of you probably, you know, when you enter the house or you have guests enter your house, take off your shoes, the custom back then would have, had, would have been for the, the lowliest of servants to wash people's feet for stated reasons, okay? But there was no servant to do that. So here they are eating, eating, eating food, and my guess is they were all just kind of like agreeing to pretend that the smell and all of that just wasn't there, okay? And what we know from that culture is they would not have been at all interested in washing each other's feet. That's why their feet were, weren't washed. In that culture, for a peer to wash another peer's feet, you just didn't do that. Like there's, a, there's cultural pride involved there. But all the more, a teacher wouldn't even have expected or demanded his students to wash their feet. But Jesus doesn't even not do that. He himself does the unthinkable for that culture. He himself, as their teacher, gets up, takes off his outer garments, swoops down, and performs the service of, of what the lowliest of, of, of servants would have done and washes their feet. Um, it is absolutely mind-boggling to think what Jesus is doing here. In fact, in my study, I was looking around for it, and I came across a scholar who said that in terms of uh, Jewish history and Greco-Roman history, there is not a single recorded instance that we have of a superior like Jesus washing the feet of its students, of, of their students. We have zero evidence of that, and yet Jesus went through this, okay? And if that weren't mind-boggling enough, if you pull the lens out a little bit more and you understand the context of everything Jesus stood for, all that who he is, it's not just a teacher doing the unthinkable. Jesus is God in the flesh, God the Son, getting down and saying, here, you know what? I'm going to wash your feet. Absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, one writer put it this way. The form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. It was revealed in the form of a servant. Uh, the disciples didn't fully understand it at the time, but they got to see a rare unfolding of the authority and glory of God in the flesh, a rare declaration of God's character. And here's the character of God being revealed in washing the feet of these, of these guys. Absolutely mind-boggling uh, because it was unprecedented. Absolutely mind-boggling because, uh, because of the company whose feet he was washing. Okay, think about this. Uh, actually, if you have your Bibles, you can turn ahead. Sorry, it won't be up on the screen there for you, or you could scroll if you're in your app. Um, if, the same chapter, okay? John 13, if you scroll ahead, for instance, to verse 31, this is moments away from the time in which he's washing the guy's feet that we're looking at today. Moments away, he tells, we see, we see an instance of when Jesus predicts that Peter's going to deny him three times. Same chapter, okay? How's that go down? Jesus finally tells him, guys, I'm getting ready to leave. Peter's like, where are you going? He's like, Jesus says, you don't understand this, but I've, I've got to go. and You can't come with me. Peter responds, what do you mean? I'm going to come with you? I'm going to come with you, and I'll, I'm willing to lay down my life to come with you. And Jesus is like, really, Peter? Really? Actually, I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to disown me three times. That's the same Peter moments later that Jesus knows is going to predict him, and yet he's washing his feet. Or if you scroll back, even before that, washing the feet and Peter, that interaction with Jesus and Peter about him disowning him, you see in the middle there, verse 18, we stopped at verse 17, the very next text is Jesus saying, and Judas is getting ready to betray him. In fact, that's in all of these verses here, uh, even in our text, you see in verse 2, verse 11, Jesus knows it, Jesus calls it out, he's about to be betrayed by Judas. Judas has already set things into, into, into action to betray Jesus, and yet Jesus washes his feet 
Um, would you wash the feet of someone who betrays you? Um, you know, I, you can read texts like these, stories like these, and think, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But if you start to dig into them, you start to really put yourself, for instance, here in, in, in Jesus' position, you're like, oh, my goodness. Look at, what he, look at these people's feet of who he was watching. And you know what? Let's not just say Peter. Let's not say Judas. Luke's account, another writer of, of these events, uh, in his account, chapter 22, actually says during the meal. So probably just before Jesus washed his feet. During the meal, all of the disciples, all of these students are arguing about who's the greatest. They're all over there. Hey, who's the greatest? You've been talking about the kingdom. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. Who do you think is going to be like, the best position? Literally during that meal. And Jesus washes their feet. I mean, it's almost like there's enough here considering the company to either make you laugh or cry or both when you think about what Jesus is doing in terms of the feet of the people he's washing unprecedented. And when you think about the company of who he's, who he's washing, the feet of, mind-boggling. So what do we learn from this? Like, what, what's here for us to kind of unpack? For in verse 15, Jesus says, I set an example for you guys that you should do as I have done. First thought, low-hanging fruit. Jesus served those who didn't deserve it. I mean, clearly, right? Jesus deserved, in relationship, people who just didn't deserve it. Uh, do you ever feel like those close to you don't deserve your love? Maybe they're not the very forgiving type of people. Maybe uh, they're, they're kind of uh, self-centered or uh, only see things their way. Maybe they have a hard time admitting when they don't get something quite right. Maybe they betray you. Not the type of betrayal that sends you to the cross, okay? Let's not be drastic. But they betray your trust from time to time. Jesus experienced all of this like times 10. If I can put a number, which is kind of silly. On, on the night in which we are reading this passage. And what did he do? He served them. He served them. Uh, and he did so with a heart, of, heart and attitude of love. He doesn't criticize them. He doesn't say, now I'm washing your feet, but what you really need to understand is I'm washing your feet. You need to understand. He just washes their feet, gets up. It's probably awkward when he was doing it. It probably took some time. He had to dry their feet and all that sort of thing. Uh, conversely for us, I think it's easy for us to criticize those with dirty feet. You know, instead of washing them, listen to how one 17th century pastor described the analogy this way. Uh, and, you know, this, this pastor's writing in the 17th century, but, but consider how strikingly similar it is to our culture today. He said, the culture of the world is to criticize. This is the business of the public press, and it is very much the business of private circles, let alone, you know, online forums or comment sections. Uh, hear how gossips say, do you see that spot? What a terrible walk that man must have had this morning. Look at his feet. He has been very much in the mire, you can see, for there are the traces upon him. That's the world's way. Christ's way is very different. He says nothing, takes the basin, and begins to wash away the stain. Do not judge and condemn, condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of the airing. Now, real quick pastoral note. Uh, if you were here last week, you remember the relationship quality or topic we looked at was loving in balance. Sometimes we need to speak real talk into each other's lives for the sake of loving each other. We need to be able to speak into each other's lives. We need to be able to receive that. That's how we grow. That's how sometimes we are loved. Uh, and, and that is not excluded, by the way, of this situation. For instance, Jesus, in a few moments, like I already mentioned, does call out the fact that Peter's getting ready to disown him. He talks about it. He's real about it for the sake of helping Peter come to grips with that and ultimately being loved through that. Or, for instance, the disciples there are arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus, at one point, says to these guys, guys, are you kidding me? 
How long have you been with me? You know the greatest is not about getting ahead. It's about serving. So Jesus does go there, and we need to be able to go there, loving in balance. Still, high-level point here, Jesus is setting those, side, the, those things aside in this moment to love and to serve these guys when they're just not deserving. Um, as, as people, or even in, in the moment. Um, but we are called, and we are called to serve uh, those who don't deserve it. Second thought. Jesus served out of a spirit of humility, of course. Uh, verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I love that Jesus calls out the fact that he's teacher, that he's Lord. But he doesn't do it in a way and say, and by, and so that what that means, guys, is you need to wash my feet. It's kind of kind of dirty. Get at it. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm teacher and I'm Lord for the sake of saying, I have authority, but in that authority, it's my privilege, it's my calling to set that aside in order to love, in order to serve. Verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That thought there uh, is actually uh, not so much like... a closure of time. Actually, the thought is more limitlessly. He loved them without limits. Uh, sometimes in demanding better treatment, uh, people think or say, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Jesus knew his greatness more than anyone, and it made him give better treatment to others instead of expecting it himself. And what we see here is that he did not do it he did not serve these guys in a humble way from a position of weakness. Actually, he did it from a position of authority. It was because of his authority, it was because of his privilege that he was called to serve, that he was setting an example to serve, and we should do the same thing. Are there any relationships where you have authority and you could serve others? I mean, you know, let's take this a little bit, you know, formal authority, okay, in the workplace, you know, supervisors, of course, have authority. We need to be, that's actually, in Jesus' mind, a position to allow you the opportunity to serve. Or maybe you have kind of informal authority, like within a relationship. Bear with me as I try to explain this. Sometimes, you know how you're in a relationship, maybe you're in a little bit of a fight, and boy, aren't you the right one? You know, aren't, aren't they just like, you know, they've got it wrong, and, uh, but you've got, you've got your position, you've got, you've got authority, you've got a relational credit, you've got this standing over here, if you are right, which usually you're not, right? But let's say you are right. Let's say you are completely right. That would actually be a position. That would actually be a, 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 a privileged place to be able to serve and love the other. Do you see this? We are called to cast aside authority. Uh, we're no, not cast it aside. Use that authority. Use privilege to serve from. Third thought, Jesus served out of an outflowing of his relationship with the Father. Everything. Everything that Jesus is doing here extends from the loving relationship that he had with God the Father and that God the Father had with him and their collective love for us. That's actually what stuck out to me the most when I read it uh, this week for the first time in preparation for today is how much John shows us the motive of Jesus. Okay, allow me to like geek out a little bit here. I love studying the life of Jesus, but so often the writers talk about Jesus in terms of like, you know, in narrative form, and then he healed this guy, and then he healed that gal, and then, you know, we're just kind of given the, the description, but here John gives us the motivations behind it. Did, did you see that when, or did you hear that when, when Cindy read it? It says in verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come. He's feeling a sense of urgency. 
here. Verse 2, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's feeling a sense of intimacy. And then verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He was feeling his ultimate sense of purpose. Verse 4, so he got up and he washed their feet. He served. The motivation here is, is clear. He's loving people who are undeserving. He's loving from a position of unprecedented humility. And the motivation there is because of God's love for him and their love as father and son for people. This is what it is all about. This is what the Bible is all about. And this washing of his students' feet, uh, Jesus is embodying all of this. Uh, at one point, Jesus is going around, and he's washing each of the disciples' feet, right? He's going down the line, presumably. He gets to Peter, okay? And Peter's one who's never able to leave well enough alone. He just, Jesus gets to him and says, you're not going to wash me? You can't wash my feet? And it's like, what's Jesus going to say to that? I'm not coming to you. Like, I'm going to splash you in the face. Yes, I'm going to wash your feet. Shut up. Um, that's not what Jesus says. Sorry, that's bad David translation. Jesus says, you do not realize, Peter, now what I am doing. But later you're going to understand no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. False sense of humility, wouldn't you say? But then Jesus says something profound. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had, uh, had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. What is Jesus saying here? What is, it, what is this getting at? Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. This is what God the Father and God the Son and their love for each other and for, for the disciples, for us, have been planning for all eternity. That is to love us through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The disciples didn't fully know it yet. Jesus even says that. He says, you're going you're gonna to know this soon. You don't understand it now. But what he was getting ready to do was go to the cross, was go to the cross that we could receive the forgiveness of sins if we believe in his name, receive what he has done for us. And this washing of the disciples' feet is a picture of that good news. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. I love that. Isn't that so much better? Isn't it so wonderful that he, he didn't say, unless you just live a really holy life, you can have no part of me. Or unless you really know your Bible. You know, you can, you can have no part of me. He said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. He's saying you have to receive something from me that you can't do on your own. Uh, it's something that I have come to do for you. And this literal foot washing embodies pictures, a beautiful foretaste of what he's getting ready to do on the cross. Just as Jesus rose from supper that night, a place of rest and comfort, Jesus rose from his heavenly throne, a place of rest and comfort. Just as Jesus on that night laid aside his garments, taking off his covering, Jesus laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. And by the way, these garments are probably the same ones he would literally be stripped away, have stripped away from him as he was nailed to the cross. Just as Jesus took a towel and girded himself, being ready to work, Jesus took the form of a servant and came ready to work. Just as Jesus poured water into a basin, ready to clean, Jesus poured out his blood to cleanse us from the guilt and penalty of sin. And just as Jesus sat down again, after washing their feet, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father after cleansing us. This is the character of God. This is his heart. This is who he is. And that is a God who didn't come to be served, but to serve. And here today, 
this is what he offers you. If you're here today and you've never received what's called the gospel, literally good news of Jesus Christ, if there's nothing else that you hear today, it's this, that he came to die for your sins and for mine. And if you receive him, what he's done for you, if you put your trust in him, he'll give you a restored relationship with God the Father and everlasting life with him. That's, if, if there's nothing else you hear today, that's it. But friends, if you have received that, there's an invitation, there's an offer to continue to be washed in that, receive his favor in that. That's what this whole thing about, it seems to me, of, of his interaction with Peter. Peter's like, well, you can't wash my feet. He's like, I, unless I, have, I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Well, how about my head, my hands, everything? And Jesus is like, if you've had a bath, you just need your feet washed. What's that all about? In a sense, when Jesus, well, not in a sense, when Jesus died for us and we received that, all of our sin is paid for. All the guilt, all the shame is taken away. That's the promise. That's the good news. There's also a sense, this side of heaven, boy, we're going to mess up all the time. If you're struggling in your relationship, if it's a challenge for you, or if you just, you're a human being, we're going to mess up. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've received what he's done for you, there's a continual cleansing and washing that you could just receive and be blessed by. Uh, that's why, by the way, in his, in his model prayer, if you, if you were here with us uh, in the last series, Jesus modeled for us to pray these words, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debts. Our, excuse me, our, our, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We continually come back and receive his love, continually being washed, even as uh, he, he died for us and paid for it all once and for all. We can continue to receive from that. It's an ongoing heart posture of love and turning our hearts back towards him because he first loved us. And that's the whole deal. Because he first loved us, we love others. Because he first served us, we serve others. He says in verse 15, I have set an example for you, so you should do as I have done. You know, it's interesting to me. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, including the disciples back then, if Jesus had said or would say, you know, wash my feet, I would like to think that disciples would say, okay, uh, hey, yeah, of course I'd wash Jesus' feet. But Jesus doesn't, I mean, first of all, Jesus does expect, he does want, he says, you should love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wants that. That's very important. He wants us to love him, care, serve him, all those sorts of things. But in this context, what Jesus is saying is, if you've loved me, he's not saying wash my feet. He's saying, if you love me, you need to wash each other's feet, which is interesting because it's like, oh, yeah, I'd wash Jesus' feet, but the, oh, those, mm, that loved one who doesn't deserve my love. Um, but isn't that the point? Jesus served out of his, out of the outflowing love that he and his father had. So we too should serve out of the outflowing love that we have if we believe that God has sent his son to die for us when we were undeserving. It's out of that posture that, boy, yeah, we can start to begin to serve those who don't deserve because we don't deserve the love to begin with. And we don't have a leg of authority or pride to stand on, but, we, but all that's left, if we truly understand it and come to grips with it, is humility, as a posture of humility, of course, Lord love. Um, we love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. Listen to how one writer put it. If there, are, if there, if there be any deed of kindness or love that we can do for the very meanest and most obscure of God's people, we ought to be willing to do it to be servants to God's servants. How much more, then, should we be willing to serve those closest to us? Uh, last thought, Jesus served in order to empower. I love this. I love this. Jesus served those who were undeserving. He served out of a position of humility. He, deserved, he served because of his relationship with God. And ultimately, he served to empower these guys. He was getting down swooping down 
hands and knees with, with water out of a basin, taking a form of servant. Why? To ultimately empower these guys. To set them up. To love and, 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 and help others. How do we know this? Because the disciples ended up, this moment and what Jesus was doing for them, ended up setting them on a course of life that they would be people who would literally die serving others. Caring for others. Even this guy who would, by the way, disown and deny Jesus in a, in a few moments' time. Um, he was, Jesus was setting these guys up. It's amazing to me that decades later, this same Peter who struggled in that moment would later write these words. This is 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. Decades later, writing to a church, he said, yes, all of you must uh, be submissive to one another. And here he says, and be clothed with humility. More literally, what he was saying was, wrap the apron of humility around yourself. Isn't that interesting? Like you can't read those words, understand those words without Peter thinking about the time when Jesus washed his feet. So here's my question. Here's my question for us as we think about what this text means and how we kind of wrestle with it in our own hearts. How can we, what would it look like to wrap the apron of humility around us today? Like what would that look like in relationship? Relationships with your significant other, relationship in the workplace. Um, it's not going to be easy necessarily. Um, maybe there's someone at work who's been at odds with you over a project or a deadline or a big decision. Maybe you feel offended or for whatever reason. Um, and back to the first point, they're not, they're not really deserving. Um, what does an apron of humility look like in that situation? It's not rolling over, but maybe it's taking the initiative to buy them a cup of coffee or some lunch, expressing interest in them in the person. I don't know. The application is going to be unique to everyone. Maybe for those of you married, humility is, is tough when stress is high. Maybe neither of you is sleeping all, all that much, but what would it look like to be the first to serve, the first to back down when both have a point? What does an apron of humility look like in that situation? Um, it'll look differently in, in each scenario. Um, the promise here, verse 16, is when we do this, Jesus says, you will be blessed. Now, does that mean that the relationship will instantaneously heal? No. Judas went out and betrayed him. That didn't work out so well. But even Peter, somebody who did receive him, it took decades, it took years for this guy but because of what Jesus had done and empowered him and loved him, brought him back, these disciples with all their shortcomings, Jesus was empowering them. Um, you know, verse 3 says, Jesus knew that God, that the Father had put all things under his power. Some of you, you're in hard relationships right now. You don't know how things are going to turn out. You would like to think that if you just do this or that, man, if I just serve this way, then it'll, we all know that that's not the real world. But all things are under God's plans, and he's got your relationships as he has you. How can we receive his love more fully, reflecting what he's done for us, for others? How can we this week wrap ourselves in the, in the apron of humility, looking to serve others who are undeserving as we are undeserving, in a position of humility as we have not, no leg to stand on, and because of what God has done for us for the sake of lifting up and empowering them? Let's pray.